0: At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Friends, this morning we are going to be continuing a sermon series that we began uh, just a couple of weeks ago on Matthew 26 through 28. This series that we have called Defeating Death is walking through the last couple of days in Jesus' earthly life and ministry uh, all the way up through the cross and the resurrection uh, to see how Jesus defeated death and how he provides a way for you and I to share in his victory. Now, A couple of weeks ago, when we began this series, we saw how Jesus gave His life that it was not taken from Him. It was an intentional decision that Jesus would go to the cross. And then last week, we saw how we can value Jesus most, and we saw that through the example of Mary at the dinner with Lazarus and with Simon the leper, the former leper, at his house Well, today we're going to continue this series by looking at how we can remember Jesus and all that he has done for us. And we're going to see this by looking at a different meal that Jesus shared. So last week we looked around the table in the home of Simon, the former leper. Today we're going to look around the table of the Last Supper and be reminded of what we need to remember regarding Jesus and what he has done for us. But before we get there, I want to think for just a moment about this idea of remembering, remembering, and how easy it is for us to forget. Think of the important things in your life that you sometimes just forget, and yet there are other things that stick in your brain seemingly forever. I'll give you an example. I grew up across the street from a good friend named Clifton. Now, Clifton lived in that house, I lived in my house for the entire time that we were growing up. And I would imagine that I probably talked to Clifton every single day for about 10 years, if you can imagine that. Now, the way that I would talk to Clifton or begin those connections was often through the telephone. When I would take the receiver off the wall and I would dial Clifton's number and we would connect. Now, here's the thing, though it has been 30 years since I have dialed that number, I still remember those seven digits. And I talked to him this week, and he was laughing, and he said, yes, I still remember your phone number as well. And we were laughing about the fact that though it has been 30 years since either of us have called that phone number, we both still remember it. Now, let's contrast that with someone that I talk to about every other day that I call or he calls me about every other day. We talk on the phone. And even though that phone call has gone on for many years, and even though those phone calls are just about 24 hours old at this point, I have no idea what his phone number is. How is it that I can remember a number that I haven't dialed in 30 years, and I can't remember the number that I just, di- that just dialed? Well, the answer is obvious, right? In today's day and age, I don't have to remember the number. I just tap the picture in the contact, and it magically connects myself to my friend. Whereas when I was growing up, I had to repeatedly, maybe I I estimated at least 3,000 times type that phone number in. And in that repetition, I found out that I remember what I have have repeated. Friends, I, I tell you that today, Because it is all too easy for us to forget things that we don't repeat. In today's day and age, contacts sit in front of valuable numbers. And if we don't remember the numbers, we can forget the way that that contact is made. Now, it's not all that significant in the people who are in your address book. But this principle applies in many areas of life, including our spiritual lives, and God knows it. God wants us to remember that our connection to him is not just a picture and a contact, but there is a number that has been dialed that has made it possible for us to connect to the God of the universe. And that number that has been dialed, of course, is the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins. God doesn't want us to forget it. And so God gives us a symbol for us to repeat often so that we will remember what lies behind the amazing contact we have with the God who created us. And that symbol that God gave us, friends, is the Lord's Supper or communion. And Jesus gave that meaning to that meal 2,000 years ago. And his followers have been dialing it up ever since in remembrance of him. This morning, I want us to remember how the connection is made between us and the Lord by looking at what Jesus says about the Last Supper. And then we will actually eat and drink of this supper together. So as we prepare for this, I want to read for us the verses that we're going to look at today from Matthew chapter 26 verses 17 through 29. I'll read those verses for us, and then we'll back up and make a couple of observations today. Matthew 26, beginning in verse 17, it says, "'Now on the first day of unleavened bread, "'the disciples came to Jesus, saying, "'Where will you have us prepare for you "'to eat the Passover?' "'And he said, "'Go into the city to a certain man "'and say to him, the teacher says, "'My time is at hand.'" I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Now when it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve, and as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful, and they began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? And he answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, you have said so. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, friends, in these 12 verses, I want us to see two things today. The first thing I want us to see is this. Remember what Jesus has done. Remember what Jesus has done. Now we see this in the first few verses and then as the verses I just read concluded. As they all allude to the fact that Jesus and his disciples were going to be celebrating the Passover meal together. The Passover meal was a part of this festival of unleavened bread. It was a holiday that the people of Israel celebrated, and they would go to Jerusalem, and they would celebrate there, and they would do a number of things that were all designed to help them remember the deliverance that God gave the nation of Israel from Egypt many years before, how God had come and liberated them from slavery and taken them through the Red Sea and into the Promised Land. That whole event was to be remembered annually by the people of God as they gathered for this Passover festival. Now, when we think about this, this Passover festival, um, it's, it's helpful for us to remember, again, that, that God wants his people to remember the significant things that he has done. Why did God create a feast, a festival? Because he didn't want them to forget what he had done for them in the past. And this was not the only one. The, the Jewish people had a number of different feasts and festivals that God had instituted so they would not forget what he did. I have a, a Jewish friend who lives in Jerusalem, and I was asking him about one of the festivals, and I said, what is the deal with the, the, the festivals and the feasts here in Jerusalem? And he goes, Mark, 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 Mark. He said, this is what you must know. All of our Jewish holidays revolve around the same themes, Someone wanted to kill us, and then God saved us. And third, let's eat. That we said that that is the that is the celebration again and again and again. Whether it was the Persians or the Egyptians, there was someone who was oppressing God's people, and then God saved them. And they remember that setting free action by God, that sa- saving action by God. They remember that by celebrating a meal together. Passover was no different, and they had uh, elements at that meal that would remind them of what God had done, and so when you think about this meal that, that Jesus has them set up in this borrowed room, on the table where that meal took place, there would have been a number of different items. A number of different symbolic items would have been on that table, and several of them were pieces of food different pieces of food that would have been on that table that would have been significant. At the Passover meal, one of the things that they ate were bitter herbs. Now, why did they eat those? Did they eat them because they like bitter herbs? No, they ate bitter herbs because it was a reminder of how bitter slavery was in Egypt. God never wanted them to forget the the tears that were cried in anguish over their time in slavery, so they would eat these bitter herbs to remind them Of that. They were a symbol of that. Not only would they eat those bitter herbs, but they would also eat something similar to applesauce. And this applesauce would remind them of the mortar that was used to make the bricks and attach them together to build things in Egypt during their time of slavery. There were things that they were to eat to cause them to remember the pain of the past. But also, God had different pieces of food on the table that reminded them of his provision to save them. One of the things that was on the table was pieces of unleavened bread. Now, why did they have unleavened bread? Was it because they didn't like bread that rose? No. It's because at the time of the Exodus, when God led them out of Egypt, the call to leave was so quick, they did not have time to let the bread rise. And so they cooked the bread without leaven, and they ate it. And for years and years and years and years and years, for centuries and millennia after, the people of God would eat that unleavened bread and remember that they had to leave so quickly, but that God provided a way of escape from that time of slavery. They would remember that as they ate that bread. Not only would they eat the bread though, but also there was symbolic food on the table. There was a shank of a lamb bone because a lamb had been sacrificed that day. Why would they sacrifice a lamb? Why would that bone be on the table? They would do that because it reminded them that at the original time of the Passover, that God issued a plague on Egypt that was the death of the firstborn and only those who had the blood of a spotless lamb on their doorpost would be saved. And so the the people of God, they marked their doors and their firstborn were saved. And they would have a lamb at this meal as a reminder of that. See, friends, at the table of the Passover, there were a number of symbols that reminded people of God's provision of salvation in the past. Not only were there symbolic foods, though, there were also cups at the Passover table. There would be four cups of wine on the table. And whoever was hosting this meal, they would use the drinking of those cups somewhat to segue between segments of the dinner. So they would drink of the cup to say, this part of the meal is done, and now we're moving on to this next part as we remember a different aspect of what God has done. They would use the cups to move from moment to moment, from section to section of the Passover meal. But not only was there symbolic food and not only were there cups on the table, but also, friends, there there was an expectant hope in that setting. When they would celebrate the, the Passover, Jewish people had a hope of what God might do in the future. The host of a Passover meal would often say things like, today we eat this as we are scattered about the world, but one day we might eat it again in the promised land. Those kinds of expectant things would be said around the Passover meal. In other words, God was faithful to us in the past. Maybe he will be faithful to us again in the future in this way. Not only that, but as the tradition would develop over time, there's a prophecy in the Old Testament about Elijah coming before Messiah comes. And so at the Passover meal, there would be a chair that would be left empty, and that chair was left empty for Elijah. In other words, they would send someone out to look. Is Elijah here yet? Is he coming to sit and to occupy this seat to let us know that the time of Messiah is near? See, this, this meal that Jesus gathers to eat with his disciples was, has symbolic food on the table. It has cups on the table, and there's a, a hope of God's deliverance that's all around them. This is the setting that Jesus gathered with in his disciples, now, what did Jesus do in that moment? What did he do? Beginning in verse twenty-seven, what did he do? He takes those things that are already on the table, and he infuses them with new meaning. Rather than taking these elements and saying, "Hey, these things remind you of what God did for the people of Israel." In the Exodus out of Egypt, Jesus says, I'm going to take a couple of items off of this table, and I'm going to infuse them with new meaning. I'm going to let you know as you look at the things in front of you that there are reminders of what I am getting ready to do, and not just provide freedom from Egypt, but to deliver you from the consequences of your sin provide a way for you to be united with God forever, for true forgiveness to come to you in the hope of eternal life. Jesus said, I'm going to take items off of this table, and I'm going to give them new meaning that will remind you not of what I did for one nation in the past, but will remind all of my followers from this time forward what I'm going to provide for you when I go to the cross. Isn't that amazing? So what does he do? He takes a piece of that symbolic food. He grabs the unleavened bread and he picks it up and he says, this is a symbol, and they're getting ready to say, of the fact that we had to leave Egypt quickly. And Jesus cuts them off, right? Jesus says, this is a symbol of my body that will be broken for you in less than 24 hours. Every time you eat this, remember the fact that I have given my life so that you might be forgiven. Jesus was very clear about what was happening, and he wanted them to remember forever what he was going to accomplish. And he gave them a number to dial so that they would never forget what establishes their contact with God. And it was the bread. The bread. But he went further, didn't he? He didn't just grab the unleavened bread, but he also, he he picked up the cup. Now, what did those cups do in the Passover meal? They showed the transition from point to point in the meal. Isn't it fascinating that Jesus now grabs the cup when he begins to talk about a covenant? Because what Jesus was going to do through his death was bring about a new thing. He was going to establish a new covenant between God and man that would not be on the basis of the law but would be on the basis of what God was going to do as the law was fulfilled in Christ. And forgiveness would be offered to all who embrace him in faith. Jesus picks up the cup and he says, this cup represents my blood, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Friends, Jesus took the bread and he took the cup and he gave them new meaning for the disciples. And he did so in an environment that was full of hope, right? How did Jesus end this statement? I love how he ended it. After he talks about the bread, he talks about the cup, what does he end? He says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. He was saying, hey, you guys will continue to eat and drink this in remembrance of me, but I won't be physically present with you when you do that. But there will come a time when my kingdom is established on the earth, And when that kingdom is established, we will share this meal together again. And so when we celebrate this meal, when we drink of the cup, and when we eat of the bread, we are remembering the number that has established the contact between us and God that has provided the way for the forgiveness of sins, that has entered into a new covenant relationship between us and God. And we will continue to celebrate that until Jesus comes again. And we're able to fellowship with him face-to-face, even as his disciples did that night. Friends, that's what we remember when we gather here. Jesus wanted all of us to remember what he's done. Now, when I mention all of those things, it's helpful for us to maybe make two theological points that might be helpful for us today today. The first theological point I want to talk about is that this meal is what we would call a memorial meal or a symbolic meal. In other words, Jesus took elements on the table that had symbolism that related to things back at the time of the Exodus, and he gave them new symbolism. He did not take the bread and the cup and make them into something else. They did not actually become his body and blood, but they were symbolic reminders of his body and blood. Just like when we think about the time of the Exodus, right? When they had that unleavened bread, they were not actually eating the bread that the Jewish people took out of Egypt with them. They weren't just eating the leftovers, that had been kept. No, they were eating new unleavened bread that was a symbol or a reminder to remind them of what God had done in the past. In the same way Jesus was, was letting them know that they would eat of the bread and they would drink of the cup, and that those would become a new symbol and a reminder of what He would do for them on the cross the very next day, and what He has done from our perspective. On the cross for us 2,000 years ago. Jesus does not want us to forget that. And because of that, he wants us to celebrate it often. When, when the Jews celebrated the Passover, how often would they celebrate it? Once a year, right? Once a year. And so if you think that our celebration of communion might be too infrequent, remember that Jesus took something that was celebrated annually, initially. But here's the thing, the followers of Jesus, when they saw these symbols being transformed, what did they do with those things? They did not say, well, we'll just wait and eat and drink of this next year, but they began to incorporate it into their regular rhythm of worship. Why? Because they never wanted to forget the number behind the contact. They never wanted to forget what it was that had provided their connection to God. And you know what, friends? We should never forget that as well. It's why why would we celebrate communion monthly here as we gather around the Lord's table together to consistently remember what unites us and what brings us together and what is our hope for all eternity. A second theological point, though, that I want to bring up is this. There's a word called the Eucharist. Has anybody ever heard this word in connection to communion? There's a few of you, many more at 945. Um, but but, but here, here's the thing. Um, when that word is used, what does the word Eucharist mean? The word Eucharist comes from a Greek word that means to give thanks, and it's anchored in the idea that before Jesus served this meal, he gave thanks to the Father for it before he served it. And so those words have been associated with the Lord's Supper ever since. So Lord's Supper, Communion, Eucharist, we're talking about the same thing. But what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Well, I just want to walk through a few ideas The first thing I want to challenge us with is this, to always remember what Jesus has done, to always remember what he has done. Regularly participating in the Lord's Supper is a great way to remind ourselves of what Jesus has done. But here's the thing, always remember together what Jesus has done. There's a reason why we celebrate this, not just at home alone, or in a to-go line someplace, but we celebrate it here. Why? Because Jesus has done something for us. We're remembering together this great thing. And so as we pass the bread and the cup a little later on, we're going to be doing this intentionally as a part of our gathered time of worship because it's something we are remembering together. But not only do we remember it together, but we are remembering this together with all of our being you know, when I, when I speak, it is going into your ears and hopefully to your brain and to your heart. But when we celebrate communion, there are a number of other senses than just our ears that are engaged. There's, there's taste, there's touch, there's smell. We're engaging our whole being in remembering what Jesus has done for us. Jesus gave us this symbol so that we might not forget what Jesus has done for us. And then here's the thing. We do that collectively with our whole being so that we all would know how and why we gather. Friends, we don't get together because we all like the same musical style. I promise we could go around and find a number of different songs you wish we sang today. We didn't come together today because we all have the same musical style. We didn't come together today because we all like the same preacher. Some of you are disappointed it was me, right? What is it that gathers us together? Why do we come together? We come together because of what Jesus has done for us. And the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, is a tremendous reminder of that. We pass the trays remembering what Jesus has done, not just for me, but for all of us. We celebrate that together. Remember what Jesus has done. But a second thing I think that's important for us to see, friends, from this passage is this. Don't reject Jesus. Don't reject Jesus. Now, that is very straightforward, but it is not trite at all. Judas rejects Christ. He looked him in the eye, and he said, no, no. He went and gathered the opponents of Christ and brought them to him so that they might arrest him, bind him, and kill him. Judas rejected Jesus. And I think it's important for us to remember that because Judas was one who gathered around the table with Jesus, and so I'm not so naive to think that the only table that people ever gather around with Jesus where someone rejected him was that moment 2,000 years ago when Judas betrayed him. The reality is that there might be some today who are, are considering rejecting Christ and walking away from him. And I would encourage you strongly from looking at this passage, do not do that. Don't reject him, but trust him. But Jesus comes to the disciples and he, and he says to them, he says, hey, somebody is going to betray me. And the disciples look back at Jesus and almost incredulously, they say, it's not me, Lord. Not me, not me. They're they're all saying the same thing. They're saying, surely it's not me. Surely it's not me. Surely it's not me. Now, here's something I find fascinating about that. They didn't say, yeah, one of us is going to betray you. It's Judas, right? yeah, one of us is going to betray you, it's Judas. What would you say if, if based on what we know, you would say, yeah, of course, someone's going to betray It's Judas. We've got the, the background story. We've got chapter and verse. We've got history. So it's not surprising to us. But for them, it was. And what that tells us is two things. It tells us that Judas had them fooled. Not Jesus. Judas didn't have Jesus fooled. Jesus knows full well. He says, you've said it, Judas, yourself. I I know you're the one. But the disciples were fooled, but Jesus wasn't. But the second thing that I think it tells us is that the disciples were partially, they didn't understand because Jesus had not treated Judas any differently. Think about it. If Judas had been mistreated by Jesus for three years on their ministry journey. The disciples would have said, I knew there was a reason why you made him carry the bags every time we moved from town to town. I knew there was a reason why you gave him the worst job. I knew there was a reason why you embarrassed him the other day. No, they didn't say any of that. Why? Because Jesus treated Judas with respect and with kindness. Jesus brings it up here, friends, almost certainly giving Judas one last chance to repent. John Walvoord, New Testament scholar, said this. He says, the whole incident must be interpreted as a gracious attempt on the part of Jesus to make Judas realize his terrible sin and turn from it before it was too late. But Judas didn't. Instead, he leaves the room and he goes to turn in Christ. And so what that means is that Jesus was betrayed by someone who was close to him, someone who dipped their bread in the same cup, someone who had spent three years together with him. And so this is what that means, friends. That means that Jesus can relate to the betrayed. Are any of you in the room feeling betrayed today? Betrayed from a parent who was abusive or absent. Betrayed from a spouse who was unfaithful. Betrayed from a friend who wasn't a friend. From a boyfriend who did not take no as an answer. Betrayed from whoever in your life. Someone close, someone on the inside, and they violated that trust, and you feel like, There's so much pain and hurt, and you think, nobody could ever relate to this pain that I'm feeling. If that's the case, be encouraged, friends. There's someone who can relate to the feeling of betrayal, the Son of God. Letter to the Hebrews says, therefore, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and a faithful high priest in the service of God. He's able to help those who are being tempted. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Friends, for those who feel betrayed, there is one who was betrayed who can comfort you and invites you to draw near with confidence, even in this moment. Friends, Jesus was betrayed, and that betrayal led to his death, and it led to a suffering for Judas that was so painful, and we'll talk about that in, in weeks ahead. But It's fascinating to remember that Judas betrayed Jesus, even though he was around the same table. And Judas betrayed Jesus even though he had a title. Disciple was on his business card. So titles and tables are not what saves us. Church attendance, though encouraging, does not save us. Titles like pastor or leader or Bible study leader or whatever, they don't save us. What saves us is not the table or the title. What saves us is trust in Christ. Are you trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? If so, you are not rejecting him. You are drawing near to him. And his death on the cross brings forth the forgiveness of our sins.